0: Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm.
1: Welcome to Bible worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, director of lifelong learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia.
0: And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and theologian-in-residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian.
1: This week, we read Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, a parable of a wedding banquet that a king plans for his son, but it doesn't go quite as expected. We loved thinking about the combination of obligation and joy and grandeur and intimacy baked into this story. We really loved the idea of a last-minute invitation to a mixed multitude of seemingly random people to come witness these nuptials when the first group of invitees didn't quite work out. And I'll be honest, we struggled with how to make sense of the fact that one person from the latter group is found unprepared. How could he have been prepared when there was no time between the invitation and the party? Moving from the register of the story into what we think it is trying to teach about the kingdom being described, maybe that's exactly the question this text wants us to sit with. If there's not going to be time later, how can humans best prepare each of us right now? Thanks for being with us. hello Bobby how are you
0: Hey Amy I'm uh, I'm good how are you
1: I am going to answer you with what the internet claims is a quote from Charles Darwin in 1861
0: <laughs> that was not what I was expecting
1: okay. I, this I came across this today in the land of like internet nonsense and it just keeps making me laugh <laughs> that's gonna make me laugh now. I am very poorly today, and very stupid, and hate everybody and everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna start using that. I am very poorly today. I
1: am very poorly today, and very stupid, very stupid, and I hate everyone and everything. Yeah, I I could use a day off, but I I am going to t- I'm going to take a day off. I think I'm going to take tomorrow off because oh, I really do. I hate everyone and everything, and I'm very yeah. stupid. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I'm fine. Like, the real answer to the question is I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. I haven't had a day off in too long, so I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy pants.
0: It's so funny because, like, I'm an academic, you know, and so I'm like, you know, it's so long until spring break (laughs) where where I get a week where I don't have to go to my job. And other people who have, like, normal lives are like, nope, we never. Or I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't wait for the summer when I don't have to teach class for three months. And people are like, what?
1: Well, I mean... But you're doing other stuff.
0: I work super hard during like like, you know, 14 weeks at a time. <laughs> I work super hard and then I get like a week or three months off. But, okay. no, no, I do other I, stuff. I work I, the, I have a podcast, no, did you know? Yes. Yeah.
1: I do <laughs> You do have a podcast. And Indeed. I write things
0: sometimes. Like I do stuff, but yeah. So whenever I complain about things, I'm reminded that the real in the real world there's less I, chunks of time.
1: Mm, I don't know. I don't totally buy that. I mean, I think my rabbi has about a month left of maternity leave. Yes. So I think I I I'm going to point my finger at the additional workload for the cause of my grumpiness. But it might actually be that I have an unpleasant disposition. <laughs> no, that is not true, Amy. You are one of I the most know.
0: positively dispositioned people Just delightful. that I know. Just
1: delightful. Let's see how delightful I can be in the next hour of conversation about a really kind of challenging parable. It it's did not go where I thought it was going.
0: Yes. I like
1: really had a surprise, it has a surprise ending.
0: There is a version of this parable in the gospel of Luke. We're, we're in the parable of the wedding party today. And there's a version mm-hmm. in the gospel of Luke. I can't remember if we read it together two years ago or not, but it's one of my most, very most favorite texts in the whole of the new Testament <laughs> and then this one, like
1: you think it's headed there, and then it takes a it takes a turn. And then Matthew also is grumpy pants, so he yes. <laughs> he yes. tells it differently. Yes.
0: So also, we're in the season of Lent, and so in some sense, like grumpy mm. pants, maybe not in a, entirely inappropriate.
1: Interesting. Mm. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I feel like Lent is sort of a grumpy pants,
1: <laughs> a grumpy, a grumpy pants, season. grumpy time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. We are in Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses one through fourteen. As Bobby said, this is known as the parable of the wedding banquet. Although I was trying out the game of like, what else could we call it? Ooh, the what else did you call it? Parable of the uh, a poorly dressed party guest. <laughs> no, the parable. No, I don't. I don't know.
0: I, don't I mean, there, there. It's in there. mm Hmm.
1: Is there anything that you feel like we need to know before we head into this? I know we're just sort of in this field of teachings and parables in the text, so I don't know if if there's any real context that we need. But
0: Amy, I had that same thought, and then I was like, you know what? We're sort of jumping around in Matthew. I should go back and just see where we are in the text. And it turns out that a super important thing happens in Matthew chapter 21, which is really important in my interpretation of this parable. But in the liturgical flow of the year— We're not there yet. So what happened in chapter 21 is that Jesus, who has mostly been in Galilee throughout the gospel, has entered into Jerusalem and he's gone in and he has cleared out the temple. And he's had this whole like engagement with the very center of the way I like to talk about it Mm -hmm. is establishment religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now this passage, you know, is comes In the context of him having come into the capital city, come into the center of religion and politics and commerce and all of these things, entered into the center of established religion and disrupted everything. And he has irritated a whole bunch of people. And now those people have challenged him. And so this parable comes in response to the leaders of the establishment religion who are upset with him because he has disrupted their way of practicing their established religion. And so, mm. for me, that changes a little bit, at least, or at least it informs the way that I want to read this parable. But you would have missed it if you just were like following along with the narrative. Yeah. Lectionary.
1: I'm very glad I asked. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's just because we've been sort of reading parables, and so there's this is sort of like oh, right. Yeah, it's and so it's just is sort
1: of like another parable, but it right. also happens in the context of a narrative. So.
0: Right. Yeah. So Jesus in this parable is talking to the. I think he's talking to the chief priests and elders. Matthew tells us back in chapter twenty-one, verse. Hmm.
1: Oh, that's important too. He's not speaking primarily to the disciples. That's
0: exactly right. In oh. twenty-one twenty-three, I think is the last time we got a statement. Jesus entered the temple. The chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching, and then they've stu- they've been going back and forth, and Jesus has been telling them these parables, and so he's in the temple. He's disrupted things. He's talking to the chief priests. Like he is in the center. He's in the center of it all right here. Yeah.
1: Very interesting. Well, should we dive into this uh, challenging parable?
0: Oh, actually there's one more place where Matthew tells us just like two verses before we start. Uh, Jesus tells some parables in chapter 21 and then the chief priests and Pharisees heard the parables and they knew Jesus was talking about them they were trying to arrest him, but they feared the crowds who thought he was a prophet. And then our passage picks up. So Jesus is telling this story that we are reading here today in the context of the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees are upset with him and trying to arrest him for things that he has been doing in the center of established religion. And mm-hmm. this is Jesus' response to them. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty fraught, pretty fraught context.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it seems like maybe there are Christians crowds around, too, that are supporters of Jesus?
0: Yes. They feared the crowds who thought he was a prophet. That's exactly—yeah, that's important.
1: Okay. Well, let's see what happens next. Let's do it. Let's see what story Jesus chooses to tell at this moment. We are in chapter 22. I am picking up in verse 1, and I'm reading from the NRSV. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, while the rest seized his slaves mistreated them and killed them the king was enraged he sent his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city mm. yeah i'm i am already like having to hold myself back a little bit from stepping out of the parable and trying to assign <laughs> things sure, so yeah. i'm just saying that so so you can hold me hold me accountable here I want to note one thing sort of before we start from okay. from the the world of of Jewish teachings, and and maybe this comes into Christianity too, I'm not sure. A wedding banquet is not just like he's having a birthday party. Like right. uh, there there really is like a commandment, an imperative to celebrate with the bride and the groom. And and so the fact that no one is paying any attention <laughs> to the fact yes. that there's this wedding happening yes is not is not just that they're being rude it's that they are like actually skirting a responsibility.
0: Oh that's really important. That's interesting.
1: And I was trying to think about why that's a responsibility which maybe is a little bit beyond that beyond what we need to do. But I'm trying to think of like why why is the wedding the the event? I don't know. Do you have associations with with weddings in particular and why you need a whole bunch of guests there? I mean,
0: I mean just uh, this is not an informed response. It's just sort of my own personal thoughts yeah. about it. But to me, like your wedding is one of the most important things and I like it's one of the few like when Like (laughs) when I teach uh, my religion course here at Hendrix, the way I frame the religion when I have one day, that's like life, you know, like life events in Judaism or life events Mm. in Christianity. And it's like birth and naming and then like a rite of passage and then marriage and then death, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And it's like, so when you think about a human life, like the marriage, like that's really important. And it's, You know, it's the transfer of a, you know, this is my child who is now joining this other family and I want everyone to come and acknowledge and celebrate. Like, it's really, it's Mm -hmm. really an important uh, moment. To me, that's really helpful to say. It's not just that this guy has invited people over for dinner on a Tuesday and they've said like, oh, I've got other things to do. But, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah, always try to go to the wedding, you know, and I just feel like that's, I feel like that's uh, just true.
1: Yeah, like I don't mean to like reify marriage as the, you know, the only thing that keeps society's structures going. <laughs> sure, you know, I'm maybe, saying. maybe that was more true in ancient times than now. I honestly don't know. But it it really was, as you're saying, like it sort of is the beginning of the next generation. Yeah. You know, it's it's like the foundation that's gonna be for this this new family to to grow up this unit that people like provide daily care and love to each other. Our society really was built with the idea that that's happening, which is, you know, in some ways problematic now, but that's a different story. So yeah, it was, it was a big deal.
0: It was a big deal. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed in the common English Bible, which I'm reading in verse four, the King says, I've butchered the oxen and the fatted cattle. The NRSV mm-hmm. said my oxen and my yeah. fatted cattle or something like that. And I looked at the Greek yeah. and the my is actually there. I think that's really important that the like there's something really personal. Like yeah. the king is, it's the king's child. It's the king's celebration. It's the king's, like, here's this thing that I have prepared for you. I've taken something of mine and I'm offering it to you. And then the emphasis on the the people who say, no, I can't come. It's like he had to go to his field. He had to go to his business. So there's this yeah. sense of like, there's something personal being offered like i'm invi- the king is inviting you into like a communal experience yeah and then your own like personal commitments are are trumping i don't know, your not your but
1: like no that's really own, that's a yeah. really helpful way to think about it i think because this like a wedding is personal but it's also communal and yes. you you know again in the jewish tradition you you have to have a certain number of witnesses in order for it to count you know yes. as a wedding you you need people to show up in order for it. You know, the, you can't just do it on your own. But right. you're right. People are are going about whatever their business is. I, this phrase they made light of it. You know, it's it's very uh, humiliating. Yes, I would imagine. Like it's it's no big deal that you're having. <laughs> <laughs> that you're having a wedding. And when I first read it, I imagine they sort of like made fun of it. But now that you're saying that, I don't think that's necessary. I think just thinking that of them as saying, well, I have something more important to do. Right. That in and of itself makes light of, you know, the sort of grandeur or significance right. of, of of going to the wedding.
0: So, I mean, tending to one's field or tending to one's business, like, those are important things, but those are, like, yeah. everyday things. Yes. And this thing that the king is offering is not an everyday thing. This is, like, a, you know, a once in a lifetime or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a very special moment for the king and his family. And so for the things of everyday life to be more important than these, like, crucial moments in the life of a community member. Yeah. That is making light of it, even if you're not like, oh, ha like silly wedding. I think I think yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Bobby, why on God's green earth would the people then start attacking the people who <laughs> came to invite them? Like, I, I really. Yeah. That's just bizarre. The other part, I'm like, okay, that's bad behavior. Yes. You shouldn't do that. Yes. But then you're like punch and. Otherwise, mistreat. I don't know what that means. The the people who came to invite you, why would, why, why?
0: How does your verse six read in NRSV?
1: While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them. Oh, and killed them. Yeah.
0: Killed them. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, that's an important word.
1: Punched them yeah. to death. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know how that went, but.
0: Amy, this is one of the places, I mean, I know that we talk all the time about staying within the parable before you try to relate it to something else, but it's really hard to do here. Because it's. Yeah. Makes zero sense. Because
1: nobody would do that. Right,
0: (laughs) exactly. And I mean, maybe that's part of the point is like, this is such a ridiculous thing to imagine in a story. So why on earth is it happening in whatever other realm we want to think about? But yeah, it's totally like, I don't want to come to your wedding because I have to go to my field is like one kind of thing. But like, because you invited me, I'm going to beat you up and kill you is... Like, I just don't even know. I don't know how to make sense of that, what on earth those folks are thinking. If you move beyond the parable, can we move beyond the parable?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes, we can move beyond the parable. And the only tiniest way I could start to make sense of it is that the people know they're doing the wrong thing. Yes. And now this is the second group of people who is maybe rubbing it in their face like <laughs> if the, if the people didn't know they were supposed they really are obligated to go to the wedding then it seems like killing the messengers would have been ridiculous yes but if they know i can imagine some universe mm-hmm. in which that would create so much discomfort to have to be reminded of that now a second time that they would have a too large response
0: yeah i can see that That you sort of are struck by, it's like, I mean, in a very, very small way, like when somebody calls me on something that I have not intended to do, I feel a lot of, and you feel like guilt and shame. Like my first response often is to become angry with people for having pointed out this thing, right? Before I have my more reflective moment. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like,
1: Yeah, I think think that's what I'm saying. They realize there's an obligation that they haven't lived up to? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And so, like, leave me alone, King. Like, I don't I don't want to come to this. Like, I know I have the obligation, but I don't want to live up to it. And so I'm angry. I'm angry that that you're
1: yeah, waving in my face my obligations and failures.
0: Yeah. That sense of obligation changes the way that I read this a little bit because I've been sort of reading this as like it's an extension of hospitality, and they're angry about the king's extension of hospitality. Hmm which is even more sort of incongruous but when you say there's some also some sense of obligation attached here then it makes more sense to me like it is hospitality it is hospitality is. that has a sense of and also you're supposed to do that as a good member of the community mhm it makes a li- a little bit more sense
1: bobby before we move out of the parable which i don't know if we want to read through all of it first but you mentioned the possibility of that can can we just talk about the king's response and sure just as a human story,
0: uh, yeah. as yeah.
1: a human story, where do you think it comes from? Like what emotional or psychological universe do you sort of project onto the king? I mean, I don't,
0: like, I don't, I do not love what the king does here, but in the well, sense, sure. you know, like what, what would you do? Like, the king is not initiating the violence in this text. The king is meeting Mm. violence with violence.
1: That's true. And so
0: he has sent his servants in good faith out to the people to invite them to a wedding. Mm -hmm. And their response has been to beat them up and kill them. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you're the king.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it almost sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah when you talk about it that way. Yeah. Like, what is going on?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And I, I think that's a helpful, like, the king is powerful. The king has been embarrassed. Like, the king's people, That the king, I mean, I don't know how the king feels about his servants, but, like, they're your people, and you've sent yeah. them, and they've gotten killed for no reason.
1: Like, that's really helpful. I think I, I kind of <laughs> glossed over that part of the day. Ta- I don't know. Because I was imagining, like, is the king hurt? Is he... And does he have a sense of sense of entitlement because he's the king. He's not yeah. just like Joe Schmo. but you're right. he also is is meeting violent, unacceptable behavior with punishment. Yeah. So maybe he moves into king mode instead of just, you know father of the betrothed. Right mode.
0: I think that's right. And I mean, maybe all of that's caught up in there in some ways, like responding to violence with violence, and also he has been embarrassed and also he is the yeah. king. Yeah. And there is a social shame that comes with being rejected. And yeah. you know, people think they can get away with this. Like I think that is probably reasonably part of his response as well. But protecting his people and, you know, saying, Well, I tried to be kind to you and you didn't accept my kindness. You responded to my kindness with violence. So what other path is there? It reminds me a little bit of text we've been talking about, even just in the last few weeks about, you know, as you judge or as you, you know, as you judge others, so mm-hmm. you will be judged and things mm-hmm. like that, where mm-hmm. um, in that case, God, but here the king. Yeah, it reminds me of the story we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the servant who, you know, owes $7.5 billion and the king forgives it. And mm-hmm. then, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. tries to take it out on another servant. And the king's like, oh, okay, if that's the way you're going to be. And this reminds me a little bit of that. I tried to extend hospitality. You not only rejected my hospitality, but you killed my messengers. What is there left for me to do but follow your lead? Now, I don't know if, like, I would love for the king to have been able to muster something other than that. But it is not entirely unreasonable to me that that's where the king comes out.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the other register for this now or continue reading, and then do all that at the end.
0: Our commitment our commitment has been we're going to try to read these parables as parables before we try to connect them to anything. So,
1: so onward.
0: Let's carry forward.
1: Let's carry forward. Okay, are you ready to move on? I am. Okay. Picking up then in verse 8. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. I kind of, I like this part. And you too. <laughs> this reminds me of Luke's
0: version of this story. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah? So
0: nice. well, tell yeah. me what you love about it or what like about it.
1: I mean, I love, again, from the sense of, like, thinking of a, a wedding within a community as having ramifications for the community and, like, needing witnesses and needing people to bring energy and joy and that actually anyone can do that. You know, like, it is it is nice and good and wonderful to have people that you know, but it is also, I don't know, I think weirdly nice to have just, you know, random people who can witness your joy and love. and Yes. I don't know. I just... I, I don't know how else to talk about it. I just think it's really it's wonderful sometimes to I don't know if it's like a random act of kindness that sounds so lame, but like to to participate in this intimate moment in someone's life just because you're a person in the community, not yes. because you've known them since they were little. and you know, it's it reminds me of, you know, I talk often uh, to my own community about like there's a little bit of a difference for me between, being with your community and being with your friends. Yes. And I hope you have friends within your community, but not everyone in your community is going to be your friend. And that's okay. And actually good. That's great. And so I feel like the first group of invitations was to the friends. The friends really did not show up. (laughs) And so there's this whole broader community. And I, I think that's lovely.
0: I love that too, Amy. And I, I do think the king probably init- initially invited friends, but I also think that there might just be some sort of social status. that mm. a king, There are certain kinds of people that the king is supposed to invite. And so the king invites the sorts of people that kings invite, people who have businesses and fields and sense. things to, to attend to, and those people didn't show up. And so the king says, oh, I'm okay, I'm going to invite the people that I'm not supposed to invite, you know, the, the, the not socially required yeah. people. And so there's this image here of going out in the roads and the byways and, like, going out of the center of town and, like, gathering the people in. And so it's somehow this, this rejection of the invitation by the people who are supposed to be there has led to this greater community of people who probably don't get invited to weddings, especially the yeah. king's weddings. The king's not. wedding. Yeah. Uh, or the, the wedding thrown by the king.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I really I really love that image. It reminds me of um, when my daughter was baptized. She was baptized in the in my wife's church, which is like the big Presbyterian church in our in our place in Little Rock. But I was at Pastoring Mercy Church at that point, point. and so we invited all of my Mercy Church community. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a little bit of this parable. It was like this mixture of people from like mm-hmm. I mean like people who are pretty important people. Uh, in the world, and people who are you know sleeping behind the dumpster, behind the barbecue place, and they were all together in this place for that little celebration. We all had a meal together, and you know, like this parable is in the back of my head, or at least probably Luke's version of it, which is nicer. Um, <laughs> but trying to figure out how do you how do you create those communities that are not just your friends, like your longtime yeah. friends, or the people you're supposed to invite, but are just like. People, like, Mm -hmm. recognizing that we're all, we're all community.
1: Yeah.
0: It's interesting that I end up liking this king's banquet better Mm
1: -hmm.
0: after the people who are supposed to be there. Like, if he invited all the noble folk and the noble folk all showed up, like, how interesting is that? Not interesting at all. Right. But they say no, and so then suddenly the banquet takes on this whole other character.
1: It's really helpful to me, Bobby, that you sort of raised up the fact that as, as the King, you know, it's not just a, it's not just me throwing a wedding where I would invite my friends, you know, it's, it's the powerful people in the world, the dignitaries, it should be an honor, a particular honor to be invited to this wedding. But maybe because those people precisely because of their station in life have plenty of honors, this, this, They don't receive the invitation as an honor. Yes, they yes, you know, maybe receive it as a burden or as a unnecessary thing?
0: I think that's so insightful, Amy, and it goes back to those like little pronouns that I was pointing out earlier, like, yeah. my banquet, my oxen, my calf, and then his business, his field. And so they, because that guy has a business, because that guy has a field, he doesn't need the extension of hospitality. He's tending Mm -hmm. to his own things, which prevents him from experiencing the hospitality of the king. Mm -hmm. These other folks seemingly don't have very much. And so they so they do come.
1: And and then putting together, as you just did, those pronouns, the first-person pronouns in particular, my oxen and my calves, with with the fact of the king's station in life, I don't know, it it paints this much richer picture of like someone who, yes, he has a lot of power and Invites the noble folk to come and do all of that stuff. There is this sort of like pomp and circumstance. Is that the right word? Pomp and circumstance. Yeah, pomp and it is. That just sounded really weird coming out of my mouth. <laughs> okay. Isn't that what you There's, play that song you play yeah, at graduation? Yeah, yeah, like all the you know ritual yeah. grandeur that would come with a wedding that the king throws, and also the king is a guy. Mm. You know, like this is his son. Yes. And he has taken his cattle, and like there is also this sort of intimacy about it that maybe people forget that even people who are in power are humans, and people too. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're people, they're people. Okay, so they have this like you know mixed multitude that comes for the wedding. Yeah, is it strange? It was a little strange to me, or striking, I guess that. It described people as both good and bad. Yeah, not like both rich and poor, or both yeah. powerful and you know whatever. But like it is giving you it is it is giving you a judgment of their character.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not distinguishing them like good in bad out. It's right. No,
1: that's right
0: giving you their character and then it's saying, and then they all got gathered in. Yeah.
1: Does that just seem like, uh, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I guess I just think it's a little weird to have a character judgment and in there, but I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's, why is that there, Bobby? Why is it there?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's so interesting because it, on the one hand, it is a character judgment On the other hand, it is exactly not a character judgment, right? Because it's saying, you're good and bad, and I'm going to bring you into the banquet. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. You're gathered in.
1: I recognize this thing about you, but it doesn't. I'm not doing anything with that information.
0: So I kind of read it as like indiscriminately bring people in. And, uh, you know, like maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. We can sort it out later. Yeah. But we don't have to. We don't have to use that good and bad, whatever that means, as the benchmark for whether or not you're invited into this banquet. In that sense, I mean, we've seen this before with the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Yes, like there's yeah. a sort of mixture of good and bad folks. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the parable of the uh, workers in the vineyard where pe- the owner just gathers people, like mm-hmm, keeps bringing them mm-hmm. to the thing without really, like just whoever's there, let's go to the field. And so this, this is familiar to me from that, but it is interesting that there's this sense of like, you know, our, or at least my tendency is to want to decide whether somebody is like, I don't want bad people (laughs) at my kid's wedding. You know what I mean? Or at Um, least I wouldn't be
1: thinking about the fact that they're bad. Yeah. That I think they're, I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting tension to hold.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I live a life
0: where I interact with a lot of people who are, quote, bad people. You know what I mean? Like,
1: Am I everybody bad? that I go to
0: church with on Sunday night has a criminal record. Most mm-hmm. of them have mm-hmm. felony records. You know, a lot of them are either currently or previously addicted. Like, a lot of them have done some bad things in their life, as maybe have we all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're not bad people. Right. And so like, it's sort of interesting to say like, okay, we can make a distinction between good and bad, fine, but everybody come into the banquet. Yeah. So at the end of the day, your badness doesn't matter.
1: I think you put your finger on what my issue is, which I really think is more, I'm expecting this text to describe people in like a 21st century (laughs) way, which it's not going to do. I want this text to distinguish between people's behavior and their nature. And if this is saying that is a bad person, then I want to stop and talk about what do you mean by that? And if you really believe that, then why are you inviting them into their community? Because I agree with you that people do all kinds of things that we would say that that's a bad thing to do. Don't do that. But I wouldn't necessarily ascribe that to the person, but I think I'm just pressing this text too hard for its time.
0: That might be true, or it might be that I'm just kind of, sometimes you have noticed that I just, like, I kind of, I don't know exactly what the word is, like massage text a little bit to get them to say something <laughs> that, I, yeah. that I want them to say. So I don't know, but somewhere in between you and me, I think there's an yeah. interesting issue that, that uh, yeah is in the text that, you know, it's not yeah. easy to resolve. Yeah.
1: Okay. So there's a wedding hall full of guests.
0: Yes. So lovely.
1: So lovely. They're going to eat their fatted calves.
0: Good and bad people. Like, we don't care who you
1: are. Just come in. Just come on in. Should I go on? Or do you want to stay in Let's this moment? Let's just glorious stay here in this
0: moment. Yours?
1: Let's end the reading here. <laughs> Let's just Thus rest in this moment. ends the reading. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's more or remember. less
0: where Luke ends his uh, passage.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, see why well, you like that.
0: Yeah. Also, the king doesn't kill anybody in Luke. Hi everyone, it's Bobby here from Bible Worm. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Amy and I started Bible Worm a couple of years ago because we wanted to create a space where we could talk deeply about the Bible in ways that bring together our academic backgrounds in biblical studies and our deep engagement with communities and people of faith. We decided to make this resource free because we want everyone to have access to sound biblical scholarship that connects biblical faith to everyday life. We hope you're finding the podcast fits that need. That said, while the podcast is free, making it is not. Amy and I and the rest of Team Bible Worms spend a lot of time and energy studying, recording, and editing the podcast to make it freely available to the public. If you enjoy the podcast, and if you find yourself in a position to support our work, we hope that you will consider becoming a Bible Worm supporter for as little as $4 per month. For a bit more, you can also get early access to episodes, weekly liturgies, video Bible studies, join a monthly discussion group, and more. We realize not everyone is in a position to support the podcast. But if you appreciate our work and want to support us, we hope you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Biblewormpodcast for more details. Thanks so much for listening, and now back to this week's podcast. Maybe we should yeah. just read Luke. You wanna go you wanna start over? <laughs> <text today> <laughs>
1: no, I'm grumpy. We're gonna read the, the version with the killing. Okay. Should I pick up in verse 11? Yes. Okay. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called... But few are chosen.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: I find this pretty baffling.
0: Yeah, can you describe your bafflement? I mean, I think I can probably guess, but can you put words to it?
1: Well, I mean, some of it is is kind of simple-minded, I think. But this, when it says he's not wearing a wedding robe, I guess that means he is not dressed appropriately whatever, you know, whatever that means. Right. The king speaks to him so kindly. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man doesn't say anything. I don't know what it means that he's speechless. Like, how did you get in here? Like, it sounded like it was this big open invitation for people to come in, and now it sounds like there were maybe people at the door who were checking? Mm-hmm. something but he asks in such a friendly way as though maybe the man will say like oh i spilled wine on it and it's drying in the men's room like i, I i'm i'm just i'm confused about that whole first part of that I, I don't know yeah i guess maybe i keep trying to jump into the allegorical register and that's not yeah. where we're trying to be yet but Like, did the man not know he was supposed to wear a robe? Did this man sneak in? Yeah. Can you sneak into something where there's been a big open invitation?
0: Yeah. So a couple things there. One is that word friend sounds really nice, but Matthew only uses it a couple of times. The last time he used it was in the passage that we previously read um, a couple of weeks ago, the workers in the vineyard. Mm. And uh, it's the vineyard owner uses it to talk to the people who worked all day and then were, and then were upset.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, "Friend, I did you no know wrong." So, I don't know the 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 word friend is Matthew's it a little
1: edge characters it, to use it has a
0: little edge. Yeah.
1: It's so I mean, I I use that. I call people friend and I actually do it because our old professor Carol Newsom did it, and I liked it, and I didn't know it had anything to do with the New Testament. Maybe it didn't, and now I'm like, oh, it has to, It also has an edge about it. Maybe I should stop doing
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, friend. Okay, yeah. friend. My, I, I have a word that I use. So I, I call people friendo when I want to use it, when I want to call them this way, when I'm, like, annoyed <laughs> with them, but, you know, I don't want to call them something super rude. I say, okay, friendo. And so, like, maybe that's how we should read the king is being like, okay, friendo, how did you get in here? <laughs> Amy, what's more remarkable to me in this passage than that this guy does not have a wedding a, t- a wedding robe is that all those other people did have a wedding robe.
1: Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. Like,
0: they were like, just out minding their business, like right. on the outskirts of town, like walking down the road. And then people were like, hey, let's go to a party. And then they had a wedding robe. Like, that's amazing. And so the fact that this guy doesn't have one to me is like, of course he doesn't have one. Like he didn't know he was going to a wedding. Right. But here he is. And then that even actually makes it even more perplexing, right? Because now the expectation seems to have been that you should have just been walking down the street with a wedding robe in case the king called you to a wedding, which the king has never done before and probably Mm -hmm. will never do again, Mm -hmm. which makes the parable kind of weird. Like, I mean, I think that's really, (laughs) like, I think that's really important. Um, But this is not something, the king seems to have an expectation here, which Is an entirely unreasonable expectation in my mind. Is is how I read it. It doesn't help me with anything. But
1: do you think the fact that he doesn't have a robe indicates that he was not one of the people who was invited from this mixed multitude?
0: I don't read it that way, but I see how you get there. So you read it as like a bunch of people were had been invited, so they went home, got their wedding robes.
1: Yeah, and they were all piling in. in.
0: This guy was like, "Ooh, I'm going to sneak through the gate." I like that reading, actually. Like, that's, that sort of helps me. Like, he's so he's not supposed to be. He wasn't actually invited. I don't know. But then verse 14, many people are invited. Yeah, yeah, right. I was chosen, just thinking makes that. It sounds so like now that it guy. seems
1: like it, they did call all these people in and then kick some of them out.
0: Yeah. The thing and that gets me is they out. don't just kick him out. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like, I know. the guy just, like, he was just minding his business, having a lovely stroll in the countryside. He got... Rounded up into this wedding. And then he didn't yeah. get just, like, kicked out. He got bound and thrown into the darkness. Yeah. Like, that's just... Hot. That part really bugs me. Like, if he got kicked out of the wedding banquet... Right, be then like, then okay, whatever. F- like, fine. Next time you know, you should carry a wedding robe in case the king invites you to a wedding. Yeah. But he got bound and cast into the darkness where he's weeping and grinding his teeth. Like, that makes me sad for that yeah. guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... Well, I don't know. Maybe this is the time that we should try to actually read this as an allegory, unless you have more things to say about (laughs) about (laughs) this weird wedding scenario.
0: I mean, the only other thing that I would say before we try to, like, move to the context is this has been a theme for Matthew, that there is sort of a general gathering followed by uh, separation. So I'm thinking back to the parable of the weeds and the wheat again. Like there's mm-hmm. the part of that parable where it's mm-hmm. let everything grow and nurture everything. And then when it's gathered into the barn, then we'll throw the weeds in the fire. Mm-hmm. This at some level is another yeah. version of that. There is a That's general really gathering and then a separation. Yeah. It's it's the, it's articulated differently, which I think maybe leads yeah. us to different sort of conclusions yeah. about it. But it's this is not completely surprising coming from from Matthew's Jesus.
1: That's really helpful to me, Bobby, because I think precisely the fact that now we're talking about humans and so I'm like empathizing, it's harder to empathize with a weed, but
0: yeah. You know, empathizing. <laughs> yeah. Although you did it I think in that, in that I think podcast. I did, yeah,
1: really <laughs> push the boundaries there. Yeah. It it does it seems to be like I as as a, you know, tried and true American raised person, uh I want I want to focus on that individual and what the individual has done or decided to do or yes. whatever, and say like, "Well, it's not fair to that this would happen to this guy." But I think part of what this is saying, is, as you just pointed out, is like, you can't opt out of this system. Yes. I, I want the opt-out option because yes. <laughs> as, as much as I will fight against it, those are the waters I was raised in, that I have yes. individual autonomy and choice. Yes. And this is saying you don't. Yes.
0: No, I think that's right, Amy. It is. And so, I mean, Matthew has given us this since the very beginning that there was, you know, the Magi came to Herod and said, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod said, what do you mean I'm the king of the Jews? Mm-hmm. And from there we have this, like, there's two options for how you're going to live. You're going to be in the kingdom of heaven or you're going to be in the kingdoms of the earth. And there's not a third space. And so, yeah, I think that's right. You you can't opt out of the out of the system. You've got two choices. Yeah. Like it or not. Yeah. Like it or not.
1: Okay. So God is the king, (laughs) right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. God calls this first group of people to this. Oh, it's interesting to think about what the wedding banquet is. I'm assuming the first group of people are the people Israel, what do you think? You got a weird look on your face when I said that.
0: Well, I was going to say that. I think that you're, I think that's headed toward an anti-Jewish reading.
1: <laughs> well, this feels pretty anti-Jewish to me. <laughs> yeah, but no, don't read it that way. Okay, good. Help me. Don't read it that way. Don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. Then who are they?
0: Well, so here's how I want to read it.
1: Yes. Help me. Save me from myself.
0: So if you go back to 21, 45, and 46... Chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable. They knew Jesus was talking about them. Mm-hmm. They were, so this is the previous parables. They were trying to arrest him, but they feared the crowds, who thought he was a prophet. And so we've got sort of a division already before this parable starts between the crowds who are Jewish, who are recognizing oh, Jesus, I see where you're and like, going. Mm-hmm. and then we've got the religious elites. Mm-hmm. Who are the ones who are sort of controlling the temple religion, which is where Jesus finds himself—the what I like to call establishment religion—and so we've got this sort of like the I think the issue, or at least one way of reading it, is the issue is between the establishment figures mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and the hoi polloi, right—the mm-hmm. re, the regular folk—and mm-hmm. then if you read it that way, this is a critique of at least some of the religious leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, um, the people in charge of stuff. If you read it that way, then this parable comes back. I mean, it sounds really familiar, right, from the Hebrew scriptures, where Mm -hmm. God is forever sending prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and others to say to the powerful people, you are not properly paying your respect to God. You are Mm -hmm. distracted by your own economic enterprises. You are you know, doing terrible things to the poor and then trying to come to the temple and make your sacrifices. And God does not play that game. Mm-hmm. Then this parable becomes some version of that and associates Jesus with the prophets. And here we have religious elites rejecting the prophets just like they have always done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So then it has a, I mean, it still has an edge to it, but it's an edge that's about religious elitism.
1: Right, right, right. Yes, no that that is definitely preferable. That's interesting that I go first to the anti-Jewish reading. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> I
0: mean, part of the reason I think is because like these parables are so often read in anti-Jewish ways that uh, all of our imaginations can become
1: Right, if you come of- to the text assuming the New yeah. Testament doesn't like the Jews. Yeah then sure. That's, so you are rightly yeah. defensive
0: about the New Testament yeah. because the New Testament has been deployed in exactly the way you're talking about for a very long time. And so it's entirely reasonable that that's where your head goes. And I, I would like for us to not let the New Testament say yeah. that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I like thinking about, in that context, like what, what is the wedding? yeah. You know, and and we talked earlier about sort of a, a wedding as being like a foundation of of a new yes. thing. Like this yes. is the this is the beginning of the next chapter, not just for this family, but for like society. For yes. this is like the the building block. And if we imagine, you know, again, the king is as both having all this power and authority, and also having all this like personal affection and investment. Uh, yes. In the celebration, it's it's a it, it reminds me of um, those couple of texts that we read that really showed God's delight in yes. Jesus.
0: Yes, you know, that
1: Oh, this, I love that connection. This great powerful deity also yeah. has has I don't know, this just like love, just love.
0: Yeah. I love that, Amy. The parable starts out, you know, as as many of these parables we've been reading the last few weeks do, the kingdom of heaven is like. Um, which, I, which I read as like a colon. The kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. is like this following story,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which leads me then to think, okay, the wedding banquet is in some sense the in gathering of people into the kingdom of heaven.
1: Mm.
0: And so that's God coming into God's space, celebrating, uh, I, I, I mean, here and clearly in Matthew, this is celebrating Jesus uh, as God's son. And I, I, I love what you were saying about Going back to our earlier conversation about a wedding as sort of the start of a new family. So here's here's a new sort of alternative way of living. I myself, you know, I'm always gonna go back to this kingdom of heaven is an alternative to the kingdoms of the earth. Mm-hmm. And you know, the first set of people are too committed to their businesses, they're too committed to their fields, they're too committed to the ways that they are interfaced with the, with the empire, with Rome. And so they they're not gonna come. And maybe they make light of it. Like the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, as it's articulated from Deuteronomy through the New Testament, uh, the kingdom that God envisions is kinda laughable if you think in the logic of the empire. It's like it's naive. Yeah. yeah. We we can all get along, we can treat poor people well, we can like rich people will give like just give stuff to people so that everybody can have a full and, and healthy life like that is naive. It's ridiculous. And so you could actually imagine people scoffing at that. You can imagine people killing folks who came with that message. I, I read that part as the, the prophets in the Hebrew Bible came and that's exactly what they said. Like, let's mm-hmm. take care of the poor. And that's what, you know, let justice roll down like waters. And the wealthy people said, oh, we don't want to hear that. And so, and so they yeah. kill them.
1: Oh, yeah. That's interesting, too, thinking about, you know, we talked about the messengers coming to tell them about really their obligation
0: (laughs) to go to this
1: wedding. (laughs) Yeah, um, And they don't want to hear about their obligation.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, the king becoming angry and burning down their city.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, this is, I mean, I read this as Deuteronomic theology, Deuteronomistic theology, basically. It sits uncomfortably with me but this is the way Jeremiah and others explain what happens to Jerusalem in 586 BCE at the hands of the Babylonians. Yeah. And so maybe this is another version of that. Look, if the religious elite are going to reject God's justice, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And if we if we imagine that the Gospel of Matthew is written anyway after the destruction of the temple in 70, even though it's narrating events before that, then then one can read this as like, look, that thing that just happened in 70 is the same thing that happened in 586. Right. Yeah. So there are implications for rejecting, for accepting the Roman the Roman Empire or whatever empire you are in over God's kingdom.
1: Yeah. And then the destruction of the temple and, you know, of much of Jerusalem becomes the destruction of the power center.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I still, that idea of God sort of violently overthrowing the city, like it sits uncomfortably with me in Deuteronomy, it sits uncomfortably with me in Jeremiah, it sits uncomfortably with me in Matthew. But there is a sense in which the power center is invited, mm-hmm. and they didn't come. And so, therefore, they are now antagonizers of the kingdom of heaven, and what, what else are you going to do? Right.
1: I would love for there to be
0: an answer to the, what else are you going to do? Right, right, we're gonna, right. We're going right. to love people till they come to the banquet. You know, yeah. Matthew can't get there. I don't. Matthew can't get there.
1: Okay, so then they go out and invite all these other folks. Yes. Who come. It's great.
0: Don't care who you are. Come on
1: in. Plants and weeds alike. Everyone come. Yes. That's the best part of the story.
0: The great in-gathering. <laughs> yes, everybody come. <laughs> the religious elites are off doing their thing. Yeah.
1: And I guess you would read this not as having... Would you have this, read this as having any particular, like, is this the moment when the teaching expands beyond Israel and to the Gentile community?
0: I think you can certainly read it that way. I think you can also read it as some people in whatever community, within the Jewish community in this case, are beholden to the religious elite. And so they they don't have a space because they're considered to be bad or good or whatever. And so once you've sort of opened the gates, then people can come in who are somehow being kept out because of who they are or who they listen to or something about them that society judged as like unworthy of the banquet or whatever it is. Yeah. And so now the, the invitation is open. So I think you could read it as like those deemed unacceptable to be in the banquet previously are now acceptable. And that could be, Gentiles, but that could also be mm-hmm. poor people Other or people, people who, who, who don't fit the categories, reason, or people who are yeah. not nobles, or not on the usual guest list. Like I, I think it can be pretty expansive.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't read this as now Gentiles instead of
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe instead of the Jews. Maybe it is anybody, and all the all the barriers are down. Right, all the
1: categories maybe. of people who have uh, not been invited in.
0: Yeah. And the people who aren't there at this moment in the story are the ones who chose not to come because they were too busy with other things. Yeah.
1: Yes, at this moment. Oh, and it right. feels so good. It's so great. <laughs> and here ends
0: the reading. And
1: here ends <laughs> yeah. the reading. Right, but yeah. it, and it, <laughs> yeah. And then many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. You know?
0: What do you do with that, guys, that doesn't have that robe in this, in how we're reading in the story now? That's a sticking point for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, my I don't have any real information about this personally. My my study Bible, the Jewish Annotated New Testament, has a note that says, the wedding robe is a garment representing righteous deeds.
0: Mm, Does it give you, I love that. Does it give you any?
1: It gives me a citation from Romans and Galatians and a bunch from Revelation.
0: Oh, okay. Right on the robes dipped in blood and cleansed by the yeah i like that so if we follow that then where do we get, where do we end up
1: yeah if we if we follow that and take it out of this sort of you know sort of realm of social expectation or you know whatever honor shame could be happening based on what you're wearing at a wedding or and you know any of that stuff then it seems like this guy is there and he's he's not a righteous guy <laughs> you yeah. know like he does not if if we imagine that somehow our deeds are reflected in our being in like an ongoing way you know that our we are somehow fundamentally made up of of our deeds for better and for worse yes the king can see that this guy is is not is is not clothed in righteous deeds yes and so then doesn't hesitate to say, not only you can't come to the to the banquet, but it's almost like, as you were saying, like we've gathered everyone in, and now we can see you more closely. You know, mm-hmm. when when you are out when you're out there, we couldn't see you, but now it's time to gather you in and be able to see you. And when we see you, there will there will be this oh, judgment. Yeah. You know there. And, and there was no way to avoid it. It would not have been yeah. right for him to not come to the wedding. It seemed like he did the right thing in yeah. that moment responding to the invitation. Yeah. And this is more, there were other things in his background yeah. <laughs> from before that moment. Yeah, it's it's rough.
0: I really like where you're headed, Amy. And, you know, the, the one nuance. So... We had a distinction between good and evil, but that's not the distinction that gets this guy kicked out, right? It's uh, not wearing the clothes, Mm -hmm. the wedding clothes, Mm -hmm. which if we read that as clothes, clothes of righteousness, then that guy has not been living his life righteously in the way that Matthew has been talking about this whole time. And so if you come back to this question of like how on earth why on earth would that guy have even had a wedding robe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if you take it back to the mundane, like, why would he have a wedding robe? He didn't know a wedding was coming. Well, mm-hmm. the only reasonable answer to that is you should always be wearing your wedding robe. Right. And then that puts us in the realm of yes. the axes at the root of the tree. And, yep. like, you never know what when the end is coming, right? Jesus right. could return at any moment. Right. And so then it becomes not like, are you a good person or a bad person? It becomes, you must live your life always at the ready. You can't sort of snooze until tomorrow doing the righteous things. That right. Jesus and then
1: once you're you to. invited to the wedding, then you decide, yeah. I'm going to go to this wedding because I was invited and it's the right yeah. thing to do. It's not going to work.
0: Let me run home and grab my wedding outfit. Yeah. Nope. You, it's got to be, so, it's got to be like your skin. You've just got to be clothed in righteousness all the time. And then when, when you get gathered into the banquet, you can, you can stay because you've got your, you've got your robe. Yeah. Then it ends up in exactly the place where I end up every week, which is, you got to live the life and not just talk the talk. Right? That's it's good,
1: but that's a good thing. It, even oh, this yeah. difficult story took you back to your yeah. home base.
0: It's one thing to get gathered into the banquet, like that's no great accomplishment of yours, because everybody got invited in. That's right. But uh, you've actually gotta have had on the right clothes.
1: That's right. That's right. So so this is a story of the whatever that sort of arbitrary barriers were that were keeping you out of this wedding party or out of the you know kingdom. They're gone, and God has taken care of that part. Yes. The King has taken care of that part. Yes. But that doesn't mean you don't have a part. Right. You also have a part. Exactly.
0: So now the people that are not at the banquet are the people who were too busy doing the things Mm -hmm. that people with money do, Mm -hmm. that they didn't want to come to the banquet. And then people who were not prepared to be invited into the banquet because Mm -hmm. they thought they had more time. Or, I mean, maybe they just thought, no way the king's ever going to invite me. I don't know. But so… You've got to be, yeah, Yeah, you've got to want to be in the banquet and then you've got to always be wearing the clothes. That's how you get, that's how you get in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's how you stay in. And I keep wanting this to be just like forward looking. Like once you're here yeah. at the banquet, now from here on out, everything's going to be fine, but it's, it's not just forward looking. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, other than the fact that God as a King destroys everything. mhm <laughs> Uh, I kind of, I like this parable more now that we've talked about it.
1: Yeah. It, it, I'm definitely having an easier time with it uh, now than when I read it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me and I too. was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bobby, we've, I feel like we already have drawn out a lot of yeah. messages, especially in that conversation about how we take it into the other register. But yeah. But we always close with some something we want to raise up. Is there yes. what what comments can you leave us with as we draw to a close?
0: I think for me, I mean there's a couple things here and it's probably the things that I say all of the time, but you know, when I read these stories and it's talking about the religious elite and the things that sort of separate them from the banquet, I my first move is always to read myself there and to think about what are the ways that I and my community are too occupied by our own businesses, our own fields, our own responsibilities that prevent us from accepting the invitation to the banquet. For me, that's a really, I mean, it's kind of a painful place to start, but it's a helpful reorientation for me about the things that I care about and the things that my communities care about and the things that distract us from the, the true invitation to be part of this bigger community. It also makes me think about, I could just love the image of this banquet. I think I really love it. Like sometimes you think about like who might be at a banquet like that. And you're like, "Mm, I don't (laughs) know if I actually want to be at a banquet with all the, with all the folk that got gathered in from the highways and byways. But to me, that's like, I mean, one of the things that I have done in my life is to think about, like, I, I come back to this parable when I think about what my communities look like. And I think to myself, are the people that I am spending my time with the people who got invited to that banquet and didn't want to come? Or are Mm -hmm. the people that I spend my time with the people who got gathered in from here and there and all around? And I try to create communities that are more like the second part of the parable Mm -hmm. where it's people who, you know, maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. I don't know. Um, They're from all walks of life and they're not the people that maybe you would expect to get invited to the king's banquet. And therein lies the kingdom of heaven. And that's been a really helpful benchmark for me about the kinds of communities I create and the kinds of churches I participate in, the kinds of relationships that I build for myself. I don't always live up to my own goals, but it it has been really helpful for me to think about about the, the kingdom of the to think about the wedding banquet that I that I'm creating or surrounding myself with, my my little approximation of the kingdom mm. of heaven and, and who's who's in there. I think that's I think that's a helpful framework for thinking about this.
1: I love that. And you know, I I I say sometimes on the podcast and many times in my regular life that like community life is just a big hot mess. People are <laughs> a is. mess. We are a mess in our decision making. We are a mess in our attempts to be gracious to each other. We're just a mess. Like that's in every, (laughs) every group of humans I've ever been a part of. And as you're saying, it's amazing. Like having, having a community of people that are sometimes like you and sometimes really not like you. And there are things about them that make you really uncomfortable. And that's sometimes like, like significant disagreements and behaviors that are just hard or annoying. And and ways that that can push you to be a better version of yourself as long as you're not too grumpy if you're, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the theme of grumpiness. Yeah. But I just find it so hard these days to make a case for why why join, why be part of a religious community where everyone is not like you. And I, it's so hard to put words around that magic, but I think like, like you, I think that's really, mm-hmm. I think that's really where it's at. Bobby, the only other thing I want to notice is mostly just that when we read the story of the laborers, mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <In that laughs> you
1: didn't voice, say it in precisely. quite a voice like that. Like. <laughs> no, but like, I yeah. was like, some people have been working all the live long day and some people just got there and it's not fair. And then I read this story and I'm like, wait a minute, just because this person hasn't been righteous before... He should get another (laughs) chance and be able to. So I just am sort of aware of that, like, theological tension within me about how I want the world to work. Yes. And um, this is such a maybe sort of weird place to end. But, like, I think the kingdom of heaven is complicated. And just by virtue of having both of these parables in there, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it's also like this. And it's also like this. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, I am not the king in any of these stories that has to know when to do which. Yes. So, I mean, I don't want to, like, end with some sort of, like, you know, fatalistic, I'm never really going to understand. But I feel (laughs) a little bit like a— Yeah. The kingdom of heaven is a little complicated where things like judgment come in. And it's—and I want to grab onto it in some kind of concrete way. And I just— don't know that I don't know that I will be able to and I don't know that I should direct my energy there
0: yeah no that's really that's really important Amy and I mean one message you could take from this parable is you always ought to be wearing your wedding clothes which means you ought to always be living out the righteousness that you're invited to and you can't control what somebody else does you don't have to judge what somebody else does but you can make sure when you wake up in the morning you've got on got on your right clothes of righteousness
1: your clothes of righteousness. Yeah, I like that. That's a good takeaway.
0: The train is coming outside of my window, which means it's time for
1: it's time. the Bible learn to end. Yes, it is. Well, next week, uh, we stay at a wedding, although it's a couple chapters later. Matthew yeah. chapter 25, the parable of the bridesmaids. Yes. I don't know that parable, so I look forward to seeing what it has to teach me.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I will see you then. Thanks for our conversation. I really, I really appreciated this one. Yeah. This
1: was really helpful to me. Thanks. Y'all have a good week. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies. Visit patreon.com slash BibleWormPodcast for details.
0: Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagney, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. A special thank you to our newest supporters, Randy McDonald, Mark Schmidt, Graham Gardner, and Eric Woldridge.
1: Join us again next week when we'll read another wedding parable, this time from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, sometimes known as the parable of the bridesmaids. Until then, keep on digging.